This program is brought to you by Pussy Magnets. Welcome, welcome, my lovely lumps. Or should I say lovely labs? I'm so thrilled to have you here in the Labia Lounge to yarn about all things sexuality, womanhood, holistic health, and everything in between. Your legs. Ah, uh, can never help myself. Anyway, we're going to have vag loads of real chats with real people about real shit. So buckle up, you're about to receive the sex ed that you never had and have a bloody good laugh while you're at it. Before we get stuck in, I'd like to respectfully acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land on which I'm recording this, the Manang people. It's an absolute privilege to be living and creating dope podcast content on Noongar country and I pay respect to their elders past, present and emerging. Now, if you're ready, let's flap and do this. <laughs> oh God, is there such thing as too many vagina jokes in the one intro? <laughs> Whatever, I'm leaving it in. It's my podcast. Don't panic, you're not broken. Your sex education was a piece of shit. Get your flaps out and pull up the couch. It's the Lady Lounge. What's up, Lady Ledgehammers? We're back with another episode on BDSM, but this time with a submissive angle because I've had a couple of uh, pro doms on to chat about the dominant side of kink, and so I thought it'd be really good to balance that out with some chats uh, with someone who's also experienced a lot and and enjoys being on that submissive end of the spectrum as well so i've got a total babe here erin is it kina or kina i'm so it's kina thank you you got it right you got it right the first time it's very it's an uncommon name so it's common to get it wrong don't worry okay thought it was kina and i was gonna check before we hit record but i characteristically forgot so anyway (laughs) i've got erin here today to share with us uh, about her experience with kink, BDSM, being submissive, um, and just to give you a bit of a bit of background on Erin, she's a trauma informed sexuality healer, coach, teacher, and she liberates others from shame, one orgasm at a time. Her journey has been one of a coach and healer on the path to empowerment for the last 12 years, traveling the world, working with leaders, scientists, traditional tribes, and world-class healers, insatiably learning and developing herself and her clients. With an expansive and diverse sexuality of her own, and I can attest to that, God, you should hear this woman talk, (laughs) Erin is kinky to the core, bisexual, switchy, and polyamorous, and she has experienced every relationship dynamic under the sun. She teaches from a place of radical self-acceptance and embodied truth, having walked her talk and experienced so much of what the realms of sexuality and relationships have to offer. So welcome, Erin. Pull up a quick cushion, (laughs) get comfy. Thank you. I actually have two cushions. I've got one under my butt and one behind my lower back. So I am comfy and ready for it. So I sort of alluded to the fact that, yeah, your sexuality is incredibly diverse. You've got a lot of experience with BDSM and not just um, the submissive side, which we're going to be focusing on today. I know that you, yeah, you are a bit of a switch. You like all sorts of different stuff, stuff in that realm. So just maybe to get us started and give us a bit mm-hmm. of background on you, what's your relationship to kink and BDSM? Well, it's one that now feels so natural and so authentic it's kind of crazy that I ever denied it and I didn't deny it consciously I just had a lot of shame a lot of misunderstanding Uh, you know I had internalized a lot of shame and had 
really suppress that part of me, mainly because mm. I felt bad and wrong or the early kinky experience. Like, you know, my first sexual experiences were naturally kinky without realizing. And then to have other partners be so shocked and like disgusted at the things that I had done, I didn't realize that anyone would think that. And then I just shut it down out of fear of not being loved, not being accepted, of hurting someone that I love. And so then I've gone on this journey where it is emerging up and out of me, whether I like it or not, it's coming up in my (laughs) dreams, it's coming up in my fantasies, and I'm terrified by it. But I also had this amazing pathway kind of, I really felt called into it by God. I know that's going to sound so weird to so many people, especially people that have strong religious affiliations, but God pushed me into BDSM. So I was having all these synchronistic kind of things happening and this calling and this knowing that I had to go down that pathway. But I was like, no, God, I don't want to do that. Like I am an angel. I'm here to work in the light. I have crawled out of the darkness myself. I do not want to go back. Don't make me go back into the darkness. Like I can't read the paper. I can't watch the conventional news. Like those things really impact me. They make me feel shit about myself. I'm not having a good life experience. Like why do you want me to go into a fucking dungeon? (laughs) (laughs) so but I would take one step because this guidance that leads my life has never led me astray it has led me on the most magnificent journey so I trust it but I I had some fear and I had some resistance and so I would take one step but then I'd get all these triggers because I thought it was wrong and I thought the world was so violent and why would we want more violence and this is just codependency and this this is just because of trauma and we're just you know reenacting trauma pathways but someone would show up on my path that would very lovingly and patiently talk me through those triggers and help me see things from a different perspective. But I had this one experience where I had two lovers, a male and a female, and they were both at a distance. Neither of them were here in Bali. And I'd had a connection with each of them. Oh, actually, no, he was here in Bali uh, and then was leaving. And I had what we understand now as a sub drop. It's after all these heightened hormones and you know the body's reacting to these really intense sexual states and then if you don't moderate the come down of that really lovingly and gently you can have a crash Mm. and you can feel really like and because they both she was online anyway so she kind of like checked out of our energy and because he left I really felt dropped Mm. I felt like I was pushing my edges sexually and then no one was there to hold me and then that morning I got some really bad news about a friend whose daughter passed away And she took her own life in a very violent way. And I was so upset and I was so saddened. And I remember that morning I had to go to the beach. Like I have the same morning routine every single day and everything inside me is like, go to the beach. And as I started riding my scooter down that way, I actually passed my friend who lost her daughter. I saw her stepping inside a building. If I was one or two seconds later or like the precision at which I actually happened to see her on this street that I'd never normally be in the morning, And I pulled over and I just was able to hold her. And I went, oh, actually, that's what had happened. It was the six-week anniversary of that passing. And I'd woken up that morning, not only in my own sub-drop, but really overwhelmed by my friend's experience. Like I could Mm. see and hear. And I'd done a lot of energetic healing with her too. So we had a very attuned connection. And, yeah, I was just overwhelmed by her that morning and her pain and her suffering. And when I crossed her in that, like, divinely perfect moment I got off my scooter and she's like it's six weeks today Erin and I'm like I know babe I I felt I I could feel how I was helping her process her pain so I got down to the beach and I was angry and I was saying fuck you god don't make me do this like look at this violence in the world look at this suffering like I don't want to do this don't push me this way and the message I kept getting was like you're exactly where you need to be 
you're exactly where you need to be. And I'm like, but I don't want to go into the darkness. I'm an angel and I'm here to do this work and heal people on the planet and I can't do that work if you're making me go into these dark places. You're exactly where you need to be. You're exactly where you need to be. So at some point I just burned through my emotions. I burnt through my tears and I was like, okay, I've, I've got myself together. I'm going to go home. And I walked to where my bike was parked and there was a, a local guy getting on the scooter right next to me and we actually backed out at perfect timing again and so I was kind of facing the back of him as we go to take off and the back of his shirt said, do not fear the dark, dark pleasure. Whoa. And I was like, what the fuck is that? And then between there and home, <laughs> which was probably like a kilometre, maybe a kilometre and a half ride, I passed this big green truck and they sometimes put big stickers and, you know, logos over the front of the truck and the sticker across the windscreen said, angel in the dark. And I was wow. like, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> I know I have to trust this. So against all of my resistance, I just took one more step, dealt with what came up for me, took one more step, dealt with what came up for me. And I've always had a proclivity at choosing a good teacher, at really recognising mm. who's a good embodiment and not just falling for the bells and whistles and the people with the great mm. Instagram profiles or like wearing all the BDSM outfit. I, I could I had this discernment and I could attract the right person to help me with the triggers, the traumas, the judgments. And then I'd take one more step and then the right teacher would show itself again. So I feel like, you know, I was being supported on this path at overcoming a lot of internal stuff to get to the essence of who I really am. And so submission was my first step into that and feeling so satiated. I felt like, oh my God, I've taken my first breath of oxygen. It was like I'd never breathed before. It was just the most, oh, my God, I was home. I was me. This was, this is the greatest sexual expression of who I am. And so I had a long journey in submission and it was through some traumatic things that had happened in my personal life, uh, a sexual assault, that actually made me start to explore dominance as well and start to have a more healthy relationship with my own internal dominance because I am a very dominant person in my life. I'm alpha, I'm a leader, like, but a lot of that wasn't the healthiest expression of it. It actually had mm. a, a, a flavor of defensiveness and protectiveness mm. and resentfulness. And so to learn what healthy dominance looks like, which is about developing that, you know, and I relate it very much with my inner masculine energy, is like moving back into that space but not from a place of defensiveness. And even though it was post-trauma, it was more so reclaiming a very powerful part of myself that can walk in the room holding this energy of I'm untouchable. Like I walk in and I command this room and I feel it now because I'm starting at a new gym and I kind of resist gym culture and gym Instagram culture. And the major <laughs> gym I found out this week, the major gym here in Changu that is like the most Instagram heavy has just banned tripods on the gym floor. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> Seriously. The fact that they even needed to do that. I know. <laughs> so those people are all now attending my gym, which is just opened up because that allows for tripods. It's like heavy Ooh. with people that I assume I won't relate with, people that hyper-prioritise the external layers of their being. Mm. And, you know, my own judgment, my own assumption there is like it's not about the inner work for these people. They think their value mm. is in their beautiful bodies and I'm just like, uh. and I walk in that room and, like, I'm a curvy person. I do not meet the Instagram fitness, like, standards by any means. And I walk in with such a sense of confidence inside of myself and, like, 
I don't let any of that impact me. I don't let that come in. I don't take that as a reflection of me. And I think that's part of my healthy dominance. It's like, I don't need to feel submissive here. I don't need to feel less than here. I don't need to feel like uh, judging myself or comparing myself against these people. No, I have my own value. I bring, you know, basically I think I could fuck the shit out of anyone. (laughs) That's like my inner dialogue. It's like, don't look at me like that. I could fuck the shit out of you. (laughs) I do not need to be 10 kilos lighter. I do not need to have ripped abs and an oversized ass. I'm like. I will fuck the shit out of anyone. (laughs) So, yeah, it's been an interesting journey, but what I can most definitely see is that dominance is an act of service for me and I'm happy to provide it and I see where it's needed and I love what it brings, but the truth of my heart is I am a dirty, dirty, submissive whore. (laughs) I need that cup filled more than anything else, that space of submission for me, especially as a powerful, confident, assertive person in the world, when I get to go and be small, when someone can truly hold me, when someone's stronger than me, more intelligent than me, more assertive than me, got their shit together more than me, and I get to just melt into a little insignificant little puddle. (gasps) Oh my God, that's the oxygen. That's the oxygen <laughs> that I need to breathe. <laughs> oh, epic. Yeah, wow. I've I've definitely noticed, um, and I'm not super well versed in that whole scene, but I've noticed a trend with, you know, people that might have a pretty high stress job where they're in a position of power they've got like a lot of responsibility a lot of pressure they find it really healing and they find this amazing release in the act of being submissive in the bedroom because it's the only place in their life where they can actually just drop their bundle and drop their guard and allow someone else to take control and do you feel like you know being quite alpha and you know having your own business and being very like dominant and and sort of yang in your energy and day-to-day life is is correlated with how much you get out of being submissive in the bedroom? Yeah, for me, definitely. I can see some, and I'll speak heteronormatively here, um, some submissive women who are naturally submissive people or culturally, you know, I live in Asia, cultural submission is very strong here. The women have never mm-hmm. had yeah. uh, leadership or equality in that sense. So right. I can see a lot of women who do not take leadership in their lives and they're very submissive in the bedroom. You know, they're submissive in life and they're submissive in their bedroom in the bedroom. And that's very just a natural and true expression for them. And then mm-hmm. I see some other people who are more naturally leaders who don't want to submit or or yeah, they don't find the pleasure in it. And, you know, I think about my ex-partner and he's very much like that. He's a dominant personality in every way. And while yeah. sometimes he would let me switch but he was still the leader. He was still holding the container. He would let these states Mm. come out of me. And he was just so aroused by my turn on and by, you know, the, the, the primal, the viciousness of the primal energy that wanted to just ravish him. Mm. Um, But then he'd put me back in my place. (laughs) He'd let me take the lead. He'd let me fill the whole room and be the biggest fucking whore on the planet. And then he'd like put me back down. And I'd be like, yes, that's my safety. That's what I needed. So I'm really grateful for that space. But he never wanted to submit to me. He never wanted to be on the small side. But there were ways that we could kind of play on the different ends of our spectrum. So I think I am one of the 17% of women that would identify as switchy. Mm -hmm. So we have uh, statistically they say 8% of women are dominant. 
17% are switchy and the rest are submissive. So I think I make up this kind of middle category where I do have a huge spectrum where I can be very dominant and very submissive. But I think what you were referring to when we see, you know, male CEOs and things like that who, Mm -hmm. you know, just that stereotypical like, oh, he's got a fetish and he goes and pays a dominatrix to piss on him on his lunch break and then he puts his business (laughs) back on and goes back to Wall Street. (laughs) Yeah, totally. So, yeah, I think I, I fall into that category where there's a great relief that comes from being cracked open by having your yeah. ego so annihilated through the act of dominance that there's nothing, like you just, you're relieved of every sense of responsibility that you carry and you're mm-hmm. relieved of every, oh, yeah, it's, there's a heavy weight that comes with dominance. There's a, like mm-hmm. this responsibility. Mm-hmm. And if you're dominant yeah. over other people, there's a responsibility to other people. So whether that's in the workplace, whether that's your family unit, whether that's your friends, like it's big. Yeah. So to to have that, cracked in a way it releases something inside of you that that for me I cannot find outside of my submission Mm. but I think the other element is I'm a deeply devotional person you know I have a bhakti heart my spiritual I have a spiritual pathway to God and a sexual pathway to God but ultimately they're both very devotional pathways and Mm. I yeah so I think that there's this element of being relieved of my dominance my responsibility everything that I carry in the world, but then there's also this spiritual part of me that gets to be in devotion, like deep, deep, deep reverent devotion to the being that I see greater than me, you know, the God inside that person. Yeah, beautiful. Yeah, and I'm like the most vanilla person ever. Well, I mean, I could be more vanilla, let's face it, but <laughs> on, on, you know, in terms of BDSM and kink, I'm so motherfucking vanilla. Um, and I've tried, I've tried to dabble. I've tried to see mm. if that's something that actually is, uh, wanting to be explored and expressed in me, but for whatever reason has just been shut down. And I've actually, mm-hmm. I'm pretty certain at this point, that's just not the case. And I actually just don't you know, don't resonate with yeah. that. But I do really relate, like on a on a way less um, sexual or sort of drastic level, that whole thing around, you know, I'm holding the weight of the world on my shoulders in mm-hmm. day-to-day life, I'm running a business, I'm trying to like, you know, make decisions and be disciplined and run yeah. the show and I've, you know, I was the oldest of like four siblings and had to take a lot of responsibility and a lot of weight on my shoulders when I was young. And so like my whole life, I feel like I'm kind of um, having to be quite in that, you know, yang energy. And so I'm not necessarily like a submissive in the bedroom because I'm not as kinky as that but Mm -hmm. I do really enjoy an opportunity to just let someone else take the lead and just be a pillow princess and just lie Mm -hmm. there and receive and Mm -hmm. not be having to think about what my next move is not have to make a decision and you know even outside of the bedroom like not have to decide what we're going to have for dinner tonight and make the moves make the decisions Mm -hmm. you know I really enjoy it when my partner takes the lead and takes control sometimes with those things and we we share that um but I've been in relationships where uh, I've been with people who are very much in um in a more I guess feminine or more submissive space and they don't take initiative they don't make decisions they Mm -hmm. they kind of don't take the lead and so it it meant that you know in my day-to-day life I was having to do that and then in my relationship I was having to do that and then in the bedroom I was having to do that and it was like fuck that's a bit much like I really need a balance (laughs) with that so 
I kind of relate on a very surface level, but I can't even pretend to kind of understand on an experiential level, you know. The crazy the shit kick. that I do. <laughs> the, the, yeah, you know, um, I don't like pain. I do not like being, I don't like I'm, being dominated in any physical way. <laughs> right. I'm, I'm not much of a masochist. I wouldn't, and I'm definitely not a sadist, actually. It's one of the small uh, little pockets that I actually don't relate too much to, but I can definitely reach mm. states of eroticism that are so high that if I say, hurt me, daddy, like, whoa, we know we've gone into that realm. You know, like that's what it feels like, energetic traveling mm. through different realms. And when we're in that space, it's because the erotic energy, the turn on is so high in my body that it can't be released. And then if I was to have a flogger mm. across my back, that that strike is actually orgasmic. The body has released right. so many chemicals and stuff. It doesn't feel like pain. But I've, I've been in the place where pain makes me come and I can have pain orgasms. Mm. But it's not common for me. I like that I can get there, but I think I love my body and I've put my body through a lot throughout yeah. my life in terms of judgment and shame. These days yeah. I'm like, oh, but I love myself too much to hurt. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But I can yeah. definitely understand and relate to people's need for pain or need for a physical expression that's greater than their internal pain. I think that that's where a lot of that masochism mm. comes from. But I certainly have met masochists who say pain makes me come and I couldn't explain it to you and I would pay a million dollars to the person who could help me understand it. Mm. it and, and in some ways you don't really need to understand it. You know, that's something that I've learned through kink is like we don't need to judge the expression or the, the type of kink because in my head I was like these ones are okay. These ones are a little bit fucked up. Those ones are really, really fucked up. And if you're doing that stuff, there's something wrong with you. You know, it had this hierarchy of kink. Yeah. And so my partner at the time had made me realize it just is what it is. Our own personal erotic expression. We can't go back and pinpoint exactly why it is the way that it is. If, there's no need to analyze or to judge or to blame. It just is what it is. What's the thing that is going to take me deeper into my eroticism in this moment? And whether he praised me and called me a good girl or whether he called me a filthy little whore it it wasn't so much like oh, I want to do a praise kink or I want to do a degradation kink it was like what does she need in this moment what's going to unlock her what's going to take her to that place so I've learned to put all kink on a neutral playing field and it's a tool and I can pick up any one of those mm -hmm. tools at any given moment because that's what works so as a dominant mm -hmm. I don't care what comes out of my mouth it took me a lot to learn how to degrade and humiliate because I had really denied the part of myself that can be mean. I didn't want to be the bully. I have definitely had times in my childhood where I bullied others and I've had far more times where I was the one that was being bullied. Yeah. So that was part of my shadow. Mm -hmm. I could not stay. I am the loving one. Everyone knows Erin to be this giant loving presence and I'm like, and now I've got to fucking degrade this person and call them a worthless little dirty piece of shit. I'm like, <laughs> that's hard. You know, that, that, that challenged my entire identity about myself but to receive degradation and humiliation was a bigger journey because I like it was associated with genuine pain and I didn't want to mm. feel those things again why would I ever want to feel like that I don't want to feel humiliated but that mm. is the art of erotic irony that the things that we don't want in the street I don't want to be objectified I don't want to walk past a work site and just have you know everyone catcalling me but on some weird level I do because I don't want to go walk past and get completely ignored. 
So <laughs> what kink gives us is this opportunity to explore that part of me that does like to be objectified, that wants to be a fuck toy, that wants to be used for my partner's pleasure. But because we're doing it in the context of consent and the framework of BDSM, it's the irony that makes it so sexy. So we can explore mm. these parts of ourselves that we don't in our daily life. And so for me to go into those spaces, I now absolutely love degradation, which is so weird because that was probably that and humiliation might have been my biggest resistances. And mm. I was having a shabari session with another rigger here on the island recently. And he at one point put his hand on my face and was kind of pushing my face into the carpet kind of mushing me down a little bit and I started crying. I was like, yes, yes, degrade me. I'm just in my head. I'm like, I'm just a filthy little whore. <laughs> so I cried. It touched me in a way I need. It gave me a release that I needed. And afterwards we sat there in aftercare and I said, I want to tell you why I cried. And he's like, no, no, you don't need to tell me. And I'm like, I want to. You know, I want us to be in that shared experience. But he's just a more simple kind of rigger. You know, he's just there working the ropes. He's good with the ropes, but he, he's not there for the emotional and mental play in the same way I am. Wow. So I was like, well, it's very hard to explain when you have a need to be degraded. And he went, oh, I didn't degrade you. Like he got really shocked. And I was like, well, you know, symbolically, if you're pushing my face into the ground, that's an act of degradation. Mm. He does it because he sees that it gets a response, but not because he has an association with it being degrading. So he was, he's just mm. like, oh, no, 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 no. I'm not degrading you. And I'm like, right. no, it's a really good thing. I was like, if <laughs> it's very hard to explain to other people who don't need to be made into a filthy little whore that you're a filthy little whore. And like, I could see the shock and like discomfort on his face. And I was yeah. like, okay, mental note. He's not a play partner for me in any way. You know, he can't meet me in those mental and emotional planes. And it's a lot for some people, for most people. Yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah totally. I, I feel like when I have dabbled in these spaces, I've been really confronted by it. And I just mm -hmm. want to say, like, not everyone, you know, if you're listening to this and you're like, oh, fuck, I've never had any urge to explore this stuff or it makes me really uncomfortable, but, you know, listening to this or maybe there's just something buried that I need to really excavate and see because maybe I would like it. Yeah, possibly. And then also possibly like there's just nothing there exactly. that, you know, you do need to, you don't have, because I feel like when I was in, and I've, I've done podcasts about this sort of thing where you're in the conscious community or the sacred sexuality space or the neo-tantra space and you're going to all these workshops and trainings and you're around all of these really sexually like charged and liberated people or so a lot of them, you know, think. Um, and there's this real pressure to like feel the fear and do it anyway and challenge yourself mm -hmm. and just like do the things that confront you and trigger you because that's where the gold is and maybe you'll just break through a barrier to this space where, you know, you've, you learn something about yourself that you now love or whatever. And like, yeah, there is value in that. And at the same time, I don't, I didn't love that culture because mm. I just was pushing myself again and again mm -hmm. and again, being like, oh, but maybe I am into this thing and I'm just, there's just too many layers of, you know, repression or trauma mm. for me to realize it. And if I just keep working at it and chipping away, then maybe I'll become this total mm -hmm. kinkster. 
And eventually I was like, no, it's actually just not, that's just not me. And that is okay. Like I've really embraced my vanilla and I find so much beauty and, and juice in that. And I think that sometimes it's really beneficial to push edges and keep exploring and peeling back layers. And obviously your journey, you just had the right people and facilitators and experiences come along to do that in a safe way and then figure out I fucking love being degraded but that (laughs) might not necessarily be the case for everyone and also it might not happen in such a safe way I feel like there's so many Mm -hmm. risks and um, pitfalls that people could potentially fall into when they're trying to explore this stuff because it's so vulnerable that uh, and there is so many you know there's there's a lot of people out there that don't have enough integrity or experience or um, knowledge of how to navigate it and if you happened to be a newbie and start trying to explore this stuff with the wrong person or practitioner that could be really dangerous. So yeah. yeah, And that's very common. It's sadly very common. I really feel like Mm. my, my path was guided, you know, it was God grabbing me by the hair and dragging Mm. me saying, you are a filthy little whore and you're going to love this. (laughs) There was this inner propulsion. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't like, oh, I've got to go and try this because like I've done that before, you know, as a meditation teacher, I felt Mm. I had to do Vipassana because that's like the Everest yep. it's the peak yeah, totally. and it validates who I am as a meditation teacher and so a lot of people in sexuality <laughs> space are like Fuck, I've got to validate who I am as a sexuality yeah. teacher I've got to do all these things but it's yeah. not the truth it's this externalized pressure and so as I'm mm-hmm. sharing I know that this is highly triggering for most people because I was one of you <laughs> I understand how <laughs> triggering it can be but often what happens is we hear about someone else's sexual expression and we start to filter it through our system of like oh that's wrong oh that's bad it's like, mm. actually, what I'm asking other people to do is simply witness my sexual expression as just what's right for me. It doesn't matter if mm. it's right or wrong for anyone else. It doesn't matter if it's a turn on for anyone else. It's this, you know, healthy independence where you can witness that and say, wow, that really works for Erin. Wow, that's been so healing and transformative for Erin. And it's not for me. And that's the end of the story. You know, that we don't yeah. then think, oh, shit, I've got to do all those things Erin does. Or like, oh, Erin is a bad person if she does that. Like, that doesn't mean anything about anyone else in the world but me. Yeah. And for me, it's yeah. the most truthful, goddamn, liberating, amazing, satisfying, oh, like, fuck, it just is the essence of my soul. <laughs> Epic. <laughs> and I've made you. <laughs> I've made a lot of sacrifices to be me, you know, to publicly declare yeah. that this is who I am, mm. that my business is based around this, has caused me a lot of judgment and criticism from people in my life mm. who I've distanced yeah. myself from. I've ended significant relationships in my life because they don't want me to be this. They're confronted yeah. by it. They would rather that I shut my mm. mouth and I sit down and I shut up and that I don't declare this thing publicly because of what it, what it brings up for them. And I've, yeah. you know, found the courage to say, I'm sorry, I need to be true to myself. Hey, babe towns. So sorry to interrupt, but I simply had to pop my head into the lounge here and mention another virtual lounge that you've got to get around. It's the Labia Lounge Facebook group that I've created for listeners of the potty to mingle in. And there you'll find extra bits and bobs like freebies or discounts for offerings from guests who've been interviewed on the podcast, inspiring and thought-provoking conversations, and support from a community of labial legends. I also have an account on the fab new app Sunroom, which is a platform created by women for women and non-binary folk, and where there's no shadow banning or censorship of sex-positive content, unlike with 
the other platforms that I'm on. So you can hit up my sunroom for extra content and real and raw life updates because I'll be sharing on there from now on all of the stuff that I can't post anywhere else. My vision for both of these is that they become really supportive, educational, and hilarious resources for you to have more access to me and a safe space to ask questions that you can't ask anywhere else. So head over to the links in the show notes and I'll hopefully see you in there. And now back to the episode. I shared something on my Facebook page today about trans porn. Uh, The searches for trans porn in the last year have grown by 75%. And I think that is such wow. a fantastic sign of the integration of trans people into our communities. But mm. at the same time, it also increases shame and discomfort because a lot of people might find themselves attracted to trans, but when they're not comfortable with what's coming up, they'll often project that and deflect that and then yeah. actually can create more unsafety and violence towards trans people. But the fact that it's mm. growing so much is so, oh, it just makes me feel so happy because sexual expression is so diverse and our culture has told us that it should only look one way and that yeah. if you if you vary outside of that that you're a deviant that you're mm. that you're wrong that you're you know like yeah a pervert and you know that's something that we reclaim in this world it's like we proudly say we're perverts we're deviants so we we love being taboo we love you know like I I can't remember who I was talking about it with a beautiful client of mine we're doing some inner child processing and at her core at her essence she has a really strong discernment of right or wrong and she's going to act in the right ways all the time she didn't need as a child to be yelled at or judged or like she would have always made the right choices because that's just who she is she would have seen what is the right and the best thing to do and she would have done it and I was reflecting, yeah, that wasn't me. <laughs> I'm definitely, I was the other child that wanted to go do all the things that we're not meant to do. You know, that's been very alluring to me. But what I genuinely believe is we make up this beautiful mosaic of humanity and that we each have our place and that each end of the spectrum has a purpose in society. Mm-hmm. So for the vanilla people, that is just as perfect as the most kinky people and for the mm-hmm. most heterosexual to the most homosexual you know like I have all of these inside of me (laughs) I'm attracted to like every and I get a kick out of it you know with my partner if we came across a kink that I hadn't found something erotic in it I'm like right let's go let's go make this sexy let's like find the eroticism in this kink and that's very satisfying to me it was very much about my connection with him it was about our heart connection you know I'm not a fetishist. I'm not someone that can just get turned on by the side of a foot. We talked about this on my podcast. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, a fetish is essentially that you find something that's typically non-sexual to be sexual. But I'm a demisexual, which means that I've come to understand that it was the most liberal. I read a meme on Instagram and I was like, oh, that's me. That's a demisexual me. <laughs> requires emotional connection in order to feel mm. any state of turn on. So I've never looked at a celebrity and been like, I want to fuck him. I don't know him. Why would I want to fuck that stranger? I don't care how perfect he is. Say walking in the gym with all those buff bodies. I don't want to fuck them. Like where's the emotional connection? I need the emotional connection and then all the eroticism opens. So I was in this younger stage of my life feeling very broken because my turn-on wasn't reliable. Like I knew sometimes Mm -hmm. I could be a really sexual person and then other times I'm asexual and I could be a nun very happily. Mm -hmm. I'm like, what's Mm -hmm. going on? So I'd go to sex parties and I'd see people doing things 
I'm in my friend's office right now and I can hear the staff and I'm like, <laughs> these kind of conversations. <laughs> Yeah, they need a little bit of just in time. I went to a party, (laughs) and I would see women doing things that I would never do, and they weren't extreme kinks. They were. I was just like, oh no, 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 feeling so defensive and so like need to put my wall up, and I couldn't understand. In my mind, I'm like, Erin, you know that you're a very sexual woman. Why could that person do that thing and not you? Like, I could. I just couldn't piece it together and of course what do we do we internalize it that we're the broken one that something about feminine yeah. we're broken we're not good enough mm-hmm. but actually we're just beautifully complex creatures and once we understand ourselves there's nothing broken about it so I then mm-hmm. came to understand I'm demisexual and I'm like oh I can't feel the emotional connection between those play partners they're people that just met at a party and said yeah let's go do this kinky thing and my heart is like warning, wah, 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 wah. like don't go near there. You're not feeling emotionally safe. So there's no turn on present. So actually mm. I feel almost the opposite. I could feel revolt against it because I'm like, no, that's not for me. So I think part of this uh, journey of sexual evolution that we're on and that the listeners are on is to also just find that, uh, that total permission to honor what's right for you and that know that that mm. is absolutely perfect, whatever that cracking the code I call it cracking the code it's like each woman is so beautifully magnificently unique in her own sexuality that there's a thrill for finding out what is it for this woman what is it that cracks that code Mm. what is it that unlocks all that sexual potential rather than you know well I could make her come so this must be your problem I could make that That doesn't make friends um talking about kinks and what their fantasies were and um you know sort of asked me like what's your kink or what's your fantasy and I was just like well just to have like a partner who absolutely loves the shit out of me Mm. and to feel really safe and secure in a relationship and know that I'm gonna start a family and have a veggie patch and you know just like that is my fantasy that's my that's the the closest thing I could find to a kink that that turns me on the most is something as simple as that um and that's my truth so you know drastically Mm -hmm. different to something on the more kinky end of the spectrum but it's something that does it for me and I think it's you know that's a bit demisexual of me as well like very Mm -hmm. much I rely on the emotional connection um Mm -hmm. and that feeling of deep love and safety and trust with someone Mm -hmm. like trust is fucking hot um but I'd love to do the segment get pregnant and die don't have sex because you will get pregnant and die don't have sex missionary position don't have don't have sex standing up just don't do it promise Um, so do you have a sex ed related story for us? Maybe something that you wished you'd learnt more about or that, yeah, just a, a story. I don't know if you remember much about your sex ed, but I'm sure you've got something. <laughs> that is so fantastic. Um, so you're asking me for a story about the sex education I received as I was growing up and yeah, mm, well, I remember very maybe how it like, failed you, or how yeah, it definitely it failed. Actually, did a good job. <laughs> it definitely failed. It didn't do anything. Yeah. Um, I do remember this boy in my grade five class during sex ed, and he was a bit of a wild kid. Anyway, his name was Dylan. We I grew up in a lower socioeconomic outer suburb. This was in Canberra, and the teacher was teaching some you know very basic sex ed, and Dylan yelled out in front of the whole class, "It's meant to be fun as well." And <gasps> 
oh you know like we, yes like this kid someone had taught this kid already it feels good it feels good and that was so contrasting to what we were learning that all the kids were like ah, dylan's gonna get in so much trouble <laughs> but i'm like thank you dylan representing the pleasure like that was yeah. the first time in my life uh, like uh, like it was so opposite i had had childhood sexual abuse too so i'd really learned that it was all bad and wrong everything about it yeah. because it felt bad and wrong any kind of exposure to sexuality just felt mm. so awful because it was so violating so to hear dylan he had his little mullet great that that's back in in trend again but yeah i remember his blonde hair and his <laughs> mullet just yelling out in front of the class like <laughs> as if he's saying the naughtiest thing in the world that like sex is meant to be good feel good <laughs> Oh, go Dylan. I, I love that. And go yeah, Dylan's parents. I'm so, yeah, well, exactly, exactly. And just so indicative of, like, the times and of, of sex ed in schools that, like, everyone's like, oh, my God, Dylan's going to get into trouble for saying that because, like, yeah. my school was the same. We would have been like, uh-oh. But he's actually saying something, like, more valid than anything that they teach yes. you. Um Oh, classic. Exactly. And then I went to a Catholic. I know. (laughs) I went to Catholic all girls high school and I don't recall any sex ed there. And then I went to Catholic co ed high schools and I don't recall anything there. And then there was a a period of time where I went to an awful lower socioeconomic outer suburb state high school that was just like in Brisbane, outer suburbs of Brisbane, that is just like the bane of my (gasps) adolescent torture, you know. And, again, I have no recollection. But I do yeah. remember being in grade 12, actually. Like when I came out, yeah, I kind of started. I don't think I ever identified as bisexual, but I was making out with girls in clubs and going home with girls and stuff. But we're all on drugs and we're all partying and we're all fucking anyone. Then I met the woman that was to become my ex-wife, well, to become my wife, who we've now ended after 13 years together. Um and so I started identifying as a lesbian. And I remember going, like, these other friends at school from high school would say, yeah, you used to always talk about it, Erin. And I was like, what? They're like, yeah, you used to say you always wanted to try it. And I was like, I have no recollection of that whatsoever. But, like, everyone at high school was like, oh, yeah, we're not at all surprised that Erin's a lesbian. <laughs> I'm like, I surprised myself. I had to go, like, deal, grapple with that inner identity shift. I'd have what I would call yeah. these lesbian moments where you'd just be driving the car or doing something normal and you'd be like, oh, oh, fuck, I'm a lesbian now? Like, <laughs> your, your identity is shifting and you've gone from, you know, so heteronormative and yeah. conventional just because you're born into this society. And then when you become an outlier, yeah. you're like, oh, fuck, that's right, I'm different? Because I don't feel different. I'm still Erin, but, like, the yep. world is going to treat me differently now and I'm an outcast. <laughs> like, I used to call myself the Trojan horse because I, I could pass for a straight person. So I'd meet people and then they'd, I could see that I was winning them over, that they were trusting me, that we were building rapport and they liked me. And then I'd drop the bomb later into the conversation and be like, oh, no, that's my wife, not my husband. And they'd just be like, <gasps> And I knew I'd Trojan horse them, you know, got past their defences because they didn't think that I was different. And then they really had to question their relationship to gay people. You know, this was 20 yeah. years ago too, obviously yeah. coming out. I think I came out in the year 2000. So things are very different, which is so funny to think about it. Like my life has been so wild and varied. Like how the fuck has it been 23 years since I came out? Jesus Christ. <laughs> yeah, I'd see these people. Yeah, these people would be like, wow, I like her and I see the sameness in us and now she's challenged what it means, what my mm. idea of what gay people means. 
That's great. Yeah, so good. I love <laughs> challenging people and just pushing right. pushing their edges a little bit. Yes, and in non-confrontational ways, not, you know, yeah. setting off the defences and their triggers, but just that's why I called it the Trojan horse, you know, just well, exactly, struggling yeah. in thinking like, you think that I'm normal. Yeah. Guess what? I'm that's the most kinkiest, gentle filthiest, you bisexual it. bitch that you'll ever meet. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and to get back to that, I want to chat about, um, I guess, safety in in this whole realm of BDSM and especially being a sub. Like, you know, I'm sure there are a lot of risks or things to watch out for, like red mm. flags to be aware of in terms of like when you're starting to explore yeah. or like meeting new partners and, and testing out new doms um, because, yeah, like we said, there's a lot of people that don't have integrity or maybe don't have mm the experience to actually handle themselves in a way that's going to be safe for you and if you're new to it I feel like once you've been in that world long enough you can pick it you can pick the right partners and whatever you know the sort of pre-framing that needs to be done and the talk the conversations and the boundaries and consent stuff and maybe a safe word or whatever but if you're new at it and then you happen to start exploring with someone who's either not got the right intentions or they're also new at it and they don't know about all of the sort of stuff that you need to you know know about like what are the risks, what are the things to watch out for? Have you had any experiences where it's been really unsafe to submit? Um, yeah, I'd love you to just talk on that a little bit. Yeah, thank you. It's a great um, exploration. My first tip is most definitely to trust your intuition because I think all of us in hindsight knew the red flags before these things might happen. So mm-hmm. it's very important even more so in these shadowy kind of realms to be really attuned to your own inner voice and know your own yes and no's because once you start going into these vulnerable places like the the need for safety is heightened so we really need to make sure that we are choosing safe partners so if you've got some red flags just really listen to them don't ignore your own intuition and your own inner knowing um i would say it's really important to practice being able to say no prior to these heightened situations. So, Mm. you know, I think the biggest green flag for me in looking for other play partners is community involvement, but not community involvement to the point that it becomes your entire fucking identity because they're the same as the people at the gym. You know, like like Mm. some people just get too into this lifestyle and obsessed with it and I'm like, okay, that's great, but like people that are community involved there's an additional layer of safety because we have community rules that we adhere by. So you've got extra pairs of eyes watching you. If -hmm. someone is breaking the rules, if someone is not educating their partner towards consent or breaching consent, that would be flagged in the community. That would be witnessed and there would be ramifications for that. Mm -hmm. So I like it when people want to keep engaged in the community because that means I'm happy to be seen. I'm happy for my sexual behaviours to be witnessed by others. If people only want to do this behind closed doors with no one else connected to them, that's the biggest red flag for me because that tells me that you want to do it in your way and you don't want the potential that other people are going to go, hey, that's not the healthiest choice that you could make there. Hey, I want to watch out for your sub because I think she's losing herself a bit in submission because that can most definitely happen. If you have a deeply, Mm. deeply, deeply submissive heart, you can absolutely submit to the wrong person. And we Mm. become very vulnerable in that state for violation, for exploitation. So Mm. nothing bad has happened to me and I can still see where I gave my submission to the wrong person. 
And I've mm-hmm. been able to take that experience as the greatest lessons for me, for my own empowerment, for learning about myself. And unfortunately in life in general, not just BDSM, sometimes we need to kind of step out of line to get back into line. We step out of alignment. We we make a choice and we go, yeah, fuck, that's not for me anymore. And that's the very thing mm-hmm. that forces us back onto our path with more conviction than ever. You know, like if you mm-hmm. wanted to launch your own business, you might just take on one more job for other people and get there and fucking hate it and lose your soul in this fucking soul-sucking work and then go, no, nah, this is it. I am going to launch my own business now. I'm going to stand on my own two feet. And we needed that final little out of alignment moment to really believe in ourselves. So in some ways, when I'm talking about minor breaches in BDSM, sometimes we do need to kind of go too far and go, Oof, you know what, that is not actually for me and I don't want to go there again. Or it felt right in the moment, but as I sat and processed it for the next couple of days, I didn't really like it. So therefore mm. I know next time that's a no for me. Mm. So in some ways there's like there's learning curves in everything. So um, to kind of expect to walk into this world and get it all perfect and get it all right is impossible. We all have to learn through experience mm. as, as well yeah. prepared as we can be and as safety oriented as we can be. Also have some grace with yourself because it's mm. likely that you might cross your own boundary in some way as you're learning. Yeah. That's how we go, oh, fuck, I've got yeah. a boundary there. That's my edge. Oh, totally. Yeah. I am I am keen though to like to hear about the, you know, you said the, mo- the most prepared you can be and the safest you can be, like still there's going to be an element of like trial and error and experience. Mm-hmm. But I'm worried about, you know, the people that – have a lot of trauma they're you know maybe deeply submissive and that could even be coming from a place of trauma rather than an authentic sexual blueprint and I'm wondering like you know especially for the people who don't really feel comfortable or want to be in a room expressing their sexuality in front of other people because like for me I'm just like oh fuck that yes what if I wanted to explore this but in private like sex normally is you know community involvement doesn't mean to only go to play parties, but it means to be actively in the community. You know, you've got friends, you might attend certain events, you'll attend workshops, you'll do up-levelings of your Mm. skills. So um, all of that can still happen in absolute privacy and still have the safety level of community involvement. This is someone that's respected by the And maybe meeting your dom at one of those events so that you already know that they have some accountability and they're part of the community rather than just like a totally brand new person from an app or something. Yeah, exactly. So for me, because the community here in Bali is underground because we have Mm -hmm. a Muslim federal government, so sex is prohibited. Um, So that in one way makes us lose a level of community safety because Mm -hmm. you can't go to the police and say, hey, I was at this play party and this thing happened. Um, So I personally am not in line with the ethics of how kink is mostly expressed here in Bali. It doesn't make me feel good. It doesn't Mm -hmm. make me feel safe. It's not what I'm looking for personally. Mm -hmm. And I could feel that straight away. I could feel like there was a deep Mm -hmm. inner knowing this is not it. This is not it. And maybe that's my spiritual connection. Maybe that's because I'm a healer. I knew the profundity that was possible. I knew the depth of connection that was possible. And just to watch all these people get drunk and just, do loose wild mm. shit without respecting boundaries and consent right. and stuff like that. I was like, no. Yeah. So I actually did a lot of research online and I went and sought out the best teachers in the field. And obviously America and Europe are two huge hubs for BDSM. So I found online workshops. I could not get enough. Mm. I was reading every book I could get my hand on. I was going to every online webinar I was buying online Mm. courses and fuck it was the best it was the absolute best because it set the Mm. standards so high to help me understand what I'm looking for 
I read a lot about submission, but I read so much more about dominance because that is what set the standard for me for what I'm looking for. Mm. But if I know, I've got goosebumps everywhere. If I know what dominance is and I know what makes a good dominant because I've researched it, then I can apply Mm. that, you know, benchmark to this person. Do I know more about dominance than you? Well, I'm a sub. (laughs) So that's a red flag. So yeah, Yeah. just the the kind of educators that we have in the world are expressing this at such high levels of consciousness and with such passion like they were my teachers when I didn't have it in my immediate environment so great yeah good suggestion just do your research do some courses maybe work with a practitioner just to just to get a sort of set the bar and know what to expect and what to look out for I guess because the other thing I was thinking is yes listen to intuition but a lot of people through you know trauma don't know how to like they've lost sort of connection with their intuition and it's going to be a lot trickier for those people to be able to listen to that especially with these things and that's another thing I'd love to talk about which I have um I've had people on the podcast to speak about before is like trauma and kink and I know that there is a there's a yeah yeah I mean from from speaking to you in the past I know that uh you believe and, and have experienced personally like a very deep healing that's possible through kink and then I also you know know on the other side of it that a lot of very traumatized people wind up with kinks that potentially aren't actually healthy or in their best interests and I just want to know like how do we know if our kink is coming from a trauma that's not a healthy pattern or whether it's authentic or you know like how do you kind of navigate that whole realm Excuse the interruption, my loves, but I'm shamelessly seeking reviews and five-star ratings for the potty because, as I'm sure you've noticed by now, it's pretty fab. And the more people who get to hear it, the more people it can help. Reviews and ratings help me curry favor with the algorithmic gods and get suggested to other listeners to check out. Plus, they make me feel really good and appreciated as I continue to pour my heart and soul into creating this baby for you. And I promise I don't maz over them or anything. I mostly just tuck them away for a rainy day when I'm filled with self-doubt and existential dread about being self-employed, which is fairly frequently. (laughs) So you see, leaving a review really does make a difference and it's an easy little act of support that you can take in just a minute or two by either going to Spotify and leaving five stars for the show or writing a written review and leaving five stars over on Apple Podcasts. Choose your poison, or if you're a real overachiever, you could do both. Whoa now. If you are writing a review, though, just be sure to only use G-rated words because despite the fact that this is a podcast about sexuality, words like sex can be censored and your review won't actually show up. Lame. Anyway, oh, oh, what was that? Oh, you're going to go do it right now while I wait. Okay. Yeah, yeah. No, that's a great idea. May as well just quickly click that five-star button before we get on with it and, you know, like forget about it and get on with your day. Um, um, oh, I'm hearing them roll in. I'm hearing those five stars. <laughs> oh, my God. I make myself cringe. Anyway, uh, thank you much, Lee. You're a total gem and I'll let you get back to the episode now. I'm so glad you asked me because I was thinking in my head we've got to talk about trauma. <laughs> uh, so lots and lots of thoughts around this. Um, they have done studies that there is no higher percentage of sexually traumatised people within BDSM communities as there are in control groups. So that was so validating for me to hear. Mm-hmm. There are, however, higher numbers of securely attached 
people identifying as dominance and higher number of anxiously attached people identifying as submissives than control groups. So we do see some attachment trauma, more attachment Mm -hmm. trauma showing up, but I also think the fact that there's a higher prevalence of securely attached dominance, it's an incredible healing Mm -hmm. space. It actually helps Mm -hmm. heal attachment trauma for the submissive who needs anxious attachment. I find my safety and closeness. I need someone. And then that sense of ownership of you're my sub, and I'm here to protect you is the most soothing, satisfying thing mm. and a great space for healing and growth. So for healing, mm. some people just want the Band-Aid. They just want the thing that makes them feel good and that's as far as they want to go. I've alleviated my symptoms. For some people, they actually want to dive into it, dig it up, clear it, and be free no matter what. So I fall into that second category of like kamikaze, head first, dive myself into any <laughs> personal work I have to do. <laughs> so, Roll up the sleeves, let's do this fucking thing. Yeah. Yeah. So King, everyone's personal experience with it is different. And like I heard the most beautiful analogy once. It said some people say that they like music. Yeah, I like music. Some people say, oh, my God, I fucking love music and I go to concert like I I'm, I'm love music. And then there's a third category of people who say I am a musician. It is so inherent in who they are. Like, I am a musician. And that's what kink is for me. I am this thing. So at those varying levels of our relationship with kink, we have varying opportunities to resolve our trauma if we want to. So when I first stepped in, I saw a lot of resistance, like, don't use your dom as a therapist. Like, this isn't a space. Like, go get therapy outside of it. Like, a resistance to people using it for healing. And that wasn't my truth. My truth was like, this is the healing. I know I can heal myself and I know it's the first time I got tied in ropes, I had such a overwhelming experience. I was like, I need to do this for others. I need to take people, give them a space to surrender into the goddess inside themselves through ropes. So with willing and consenting participants who have that kind of healing focus, BDSM is the most amazingly transformative place for healing. But if you're bringing your trauma in and you're putting that on someone else and the responsibility, like heal me and fix me, and that person's not a healing-oriented kind of person, that's non-consensual. It doesn't feel good. We don't want to see Mm -hmm. that happening. So if someone does have some traumas and they just want relief, like let's say there's someone who tends to turn towards self-harming as a means to manage their internal emotional state Mm -hmm. and they then want to turn to BDSM and experience pain through BDSM, If people consent to that and that's truly what they want and they're doing it in that kind of environment, I'm going to let them do it. It's not up to me to judge. It's not up to me to judge or assess what's right or wrong for them as long as consent is at the core of it, that both of them know that they're going there. I would love everyone to heal. I would love everyone to transform, but that's unrealistic. So I also have just some compassion and understanding and allowance that not everyone wants to do that. And some people want to reenact their trauma. So when I think about the energetics of it, if we're holding any kind of trauma or PTSD within our energy system, there are ways that the intensity of BDSM puts us into that freeze state or into those traumatized states. And it can feel transcendent because you've dissociated. And that I would say is not the greatest practices. Mm. You can take the same trauma into BDSM and not overstimulate the nervous system so you're more in a state of integration and you can truly reach a transcendent place and a loving healing place and you've moved certain things through your body. So I think it's it's asking for an extremely high level of self-awareness of yourself in that state of am I checking out? 
Am I dissociating? Am I harming myself? Or am I fully present in this experience? Am I taking it one step at a time? Is my nervous system still regulated even amongst this intensity? Like even Mm. me at my level of experience and self-awareness, that's hard for me to even do because I do get into this Mm. drug-like state when I'm in there. It is my drug. It's all the happy hormones are moving through you and I'm connected with my lover and we're moving through energetic realms. There's absolutely times where I've triggered myself and I've gone too far, but fuck, the bloody little emotional masochist inside me loves it, loves being on the edge, loves being pushed, <laughs> loves the fear. You know, like there's something in me that loves the fear, that predator prey kind of like, God, you're going to take me. Like I enjoy that. So I have to be really mindful of myself and use my own self-awareness. And if I've got a great dom, also get that dom to reflect back to me and say, baby, I saw you check out there. Or like, are you still with me? Or are you checking out? Like just having that, you know, it's so, it can be executed at such high levels of energetic attunement that we're sharing the same nervous system. And you can really, like someone can help you regulate in those intense states or someone can be pushing you to activate PTSD and and trauma pathways in the nervous system and energy system. So it's a really nuanced, really, really nuanced world. And yeah. Um, you know, if everyone came to me, <laughs> we'd all be having a happy mm. healing time. You know, we'd be using yeah. all of it as a pathway for growth, but yeah. that's not where everyone's at. And sometimes it's difficult to find play partners who want to share that with you, but it's absolutely possible. Yeah. yeah, that's the thing. I think if I, you know, when I have dabbled a little bit, um, it's been so important because I'm brand new and I don't mm. know, like, you know, at the time when I was exploring, I didn't know whether it was my intuition, whether it was me actually wanting something or whether I was just mm. challenging myself or whether it was a trauma pattern or yes, pressure exactly. that I was put, like there was so many factors. So it was important to find uh, someone who was incredibly experienced and I trusted a lot and had a lot of integrity because then, you know, they could kind of have my back when I couldn't have it. And so I suppose like my thought would be like, if you're wanting to start exploring, the most important thing would just be like, you know, walk before you run, just ease into it so incredibly gently and gradually that there's no like sudden movements or big leaps. um, So that there isn't going to be that really huge, like, holy fuck, like I've gone too far. I'm triggered. I mean, I'm in a, you know, um, yeah. Do you need to put your, your computer charger yes, in? Yes, I do. I need to charge my laptop. Um, but what I wanted to say to that was having someone hold your hand as you enter the community is a really great thing. Yeah. yeah. Someone that's more experienced. Yeah. Like you might not think that you've got kinky people in your world, but I guarantee you've got kinky people in your world. Yeah. And there's a lot of They're people everywhere. who want to care for newbies as they enter the scene. And yeah, there's a lot of people what it was like. who target newbies, you know, like the red flags of the people who are like, fresh blood, she's, she's naive, she's going to think I'm a big bad dom and I don't even have to be that good and she's going to idolise me. Oh, <laughs> so yeah. I think like having a friend who can watch you and, and you know, just check in and moderate with you mm. and just be like, yeah. Do you, do you really feel good about that, babe? Mm. Are you going a bit too far? Or like, yeah, I can see this is really good for you. Like having that other yeah. person help with that process is amazing. And something else that I wanted to cover before we wrap up as well is is aftercare because that's something that you know is incredibly important and I think some people don't make time for or don't you know again if you're a beginner you might not realize the importance of this and you know how essential it is especially if you have been challenged or triggered or things have come up or things have been just that little bit outside of your window of tolerance or or at an edge for you like the difference between it being really re-traumatizing and it being healing can be that aftercare piece so could you speak a bit on that 
Yes, every vulnerable exchange requires aftercare. That was one of my biggest resistance. Like, why are we doing this thing if you need to fucking aftercare people to manage it? Like, <laughs> <laughs> like the fact that we need aftercare is so wrong. And one of my first dominants said to me, Erin, every vulnerable exchange requires aftercare. And it's such an amazing practice in life in general. If you know your friend's going mm-hmm. through a hard time and you've been on the phone with her and she's just been crying going through stuff like what does it mean if you send her a text the next morning say hey babe checking in how are you feeling it's Mm. like oh thank you you're still with me Mm -hmm. this doesn't just Mm -hmm. end it doesn't just drop off and like you know that kind Mm. of transactional sex we've all had it we've all had someone Mm. have access to the intimacy of our body and then just ghosted emotionally or physically and it feels Mm. awful so to go Mm. to these even more vulnerable places through BDSM heightens that need for aftercare. So it's working on the Mm. physiological layer. As I mentioned earlier, it's helping you navigate that gentle come down from the hormonal high. Mm. So that can happen. I really enjoy physical touch. Most people would say a nice cuddle, some verbal processing, Mm. which was my resistance with that Shabari experience where he was like, no, I don't need to know what you're crying about. And I'm like, we were in this together. This is a shit. Maybe I need to share. Exactly. Um, And I can hold myself well enough, you know. I I wasn't shut down by that, but someone who's new or someone who's more vulnerable could take that really. Totally, yeah. Like that can be really harsh to hear that. So for me, you know, physical touch and maintaining that emotional connection is of priority. The physical, like hormonal kind of downside to thing. But, yeah, what often happens is that we start to return back to our rational and logical mind and can start to process some of the more heightened spiritual, energetic and emotional experiences that happen in BDSM. So one of the most empowered things we can do is just really know what we need for aftercare and you can even create an aftercare kit. So I made a playlist of my favourite tracks that were the most soothing, you know, the tracks that felt like a big warm blanket. You can have a blanket ready, you can have some dark chocolate ready and you can literally go into it with the expectation that when we finish you're going to wrap me up in this blanket or you're going to put me in the bath and brush my hair and just talk to me. I know, I know. Love that. I know. So when you might not know, and that's okay, and a a good dom can help you with that, but the more experience that you can have and the more you can think and prepare for these things, then you can really set yourself up for a really loving, nurturing aftercare experience. Um, Mm. Typically you'll need water, but it's the same as every, you know, endurance Mm. activity. (laughs) (laughs) Depending on your relationship with food and your blood sugar levels, like food could be good. For me, I tend to not really be hungry after sex. It's, it's, um, yeah, it, it's not the way my energy is flowing through my body actually because mm. like it has a lot of upward-outward flow. So mm. to put food in and try and digest it down isn't so good. Um, mm-hmm. For me mostly I need to moderate that very energetic drug-like state, that transcendent state, and I can be a little bit dopey and mm. a little bit slow and it's nice to be taken care of like a little baby. <laughs> and I remember once <laughs> I, it was one of the most intense BDSM scenes I've ever done, like one of my heightened fantasies. And afterwards, I could. I mean, are you going to tell us about it though? Come on. <laughs> I, I may have mentioned this to you before when we were just chatting casually. When I got fucked by chains, did oh, I mention yeah. this? So yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I was chained to the bed, which is such a sign of ownership for me. Something about the metal is so. I love metal. I love metal dildos. There's there's something so primal. It's so unnatural to shove a chunk of metal <laughs> in your cunt. 
So I love it, the weight <laughs> of it, the sound of it, the, the, the temperature of it. So it was mm. being chained, which is a huge psychological thing for me, but then he also put the chain inside me. So he wrapped it around his fingers mm. and he put it inside me and fucked me with it and it just, mm. oh, my God, it was everything. It was ticking all the boxes for me. Mm. And afterwards I was so nonverbal in a beautiful way, you know, like that also happens after really intense meditations when you can't come back from that meditation quite so quickly and you want to stay in that half state. And so he got cushions and put them in the kitchen, carried me, put me on the floor in the kitchen to curl up, put a blanket over me, cooked for me, sat on the ground with me and fed me really slowly. And it just, you know, 30, 45 minutes of slowly, like so much tenderness after something that was so brutal and so good and so intense, like fulfilled so many, like I didn't even know we were going to go, you know, it was just layer upon layer upon layer, like just more and more and more and more and more of what works for me. Oh, my God, it was just so good. But that that level of tenderness and care, but even like I'm still on the floor, you know, like a dog bed kind of style, I put cushions and you're in the, like there's still this element of like you're the submissive. I'm yeah. still holding you in that space that you're little and I'm big yeah. and I'm doing yeah. the labour here. And your job, yeah. you, you can't take responsibility back yet. And it was just such a nice thing to to Exactly be, what you needed. Yep, and yeah. so slow, so caring. And there's been yeah. other times with that partner where he has just like oh, got up and got back into this other mode and I'm like, I cannot move that fast yet. And he's like, oh, sorry, I'm back, you know. But like oh, I can yeah. notice when he pushes his edges because tops and dominance, they also need aftercare. When he would push his edges and pot- potentially come up against his shame edges of the things that he felt mm. good receiving or bad receiving or didn't feel good about himself about certain things, his strategy was to kind of disconnect and, and go a bit avoidant and just like not mm. sit with those feelings too intensely. So, yeah, I noticed one time through a worship session actually we'd broken up and I gave him a really, uh, my heart just wanted to worship him even though we're in this really painful separated place. And he received it, but afterwards I think he just was like, you know, it was too vulnerable. It was too emotionally yeah. raw and he just, and I said, I need you to hold me for longer. And he was like, oh, I'm sorry, I'm back. And he took me to the shower and he washed me down in the shower. But, you know, it's a lot of pressure to say to the dominant, you have to give me aftercare now because they've been in just as mm. much intensity as you have. So it's also a really good practice mm. as a submissive to know what your top or your dominant needs for their aftercare mm. and what do they mm. potentially need to verbally process like if someone is exploring their sadism and they're acting in a way towards a woman that society has told them you're not meant to hurt women like that guy that tied me in ropes he had shared that with me when he first started getting into impact he said the little boy inside of me is twiddling his thumbs going oh this is bad this is wrong she's really wet like I can see that she's responding but the little boy inside of me I got taught to respect women I'm not allowed to do this so you know, that's the kind of processing they have to do too. So we also need to be aware enough and capable enough to hold space for that and and mm. let them process without taking it personally, without feeling like you've done something wrong or you've taken them somewhere they didn't want to go. It, it's a, it's a totally. treacherous kind of territory, you know. We're playing on yeah, our edges and yeah. our dark edges. So to Well, I mean, that's why so many people other. in that space have incredible communication skills yes. because you have to, you need to talk about all this stuff before you get into the bedroom. You have to, you know, chat about what your requirements are for aftercare and all of the, you know, I mean, pre-frame the whole sort of session, right? And so, and that's like yeah. a lot more communication and verbalising things than most people would do before they fuck. 
Yep, exactly. And then you take that with you everywhere. You start using consent and negotiation and everything. You go on a date with someone and then you go to wrap up the date and you say, I've had a really nice night and it would feel good if you sent me a text tomorrow morning. (laughs) It's like, oh, why haven't we all been doing that? That's so basic. Like I'm going to feel like shit if you never contact me again. So I'm just going to express my need now and ask for what I want and say, please give me this aftercare. Please don't emotionally disconnect from me, especially if you go home with someone and share vulnerably and then you, you know, you get in your Uber to go home or whatever. You can say, I've had a really nice night and it feels really good to me to be in communication tomorrow. Can you text me and check in in the morning when you wake up? Like, oh. like why aren't we all negotiating our sexual experiences? You know, the cult, the common culture is not to have any language around it at all. You just go home and get it on. And so now I can very comfortably say I'm going on a date, uh, but just to let you know, I never play on the first date. Like that's just my rule Mm. in general. Even if the chemistry is high, I let it simmer. I go home and I make sure that I'm in the right mind space and I've thought about this, not from a heightened place, but this is truly what I want. It's a good rule. So, Yeah. yeah, I tell them in advance how I don't play and then we go on a nice date and if there's something good, it's like I really can't wait to see you again and, you know, I, or I'm feeling a bit emotionally vulnerable. I'd like to go home and, or like next time I say, I'm ready to make out and I would like to explore each other's body, but I, I'm not ready yet emotionally for penetration. Mm, like these are just yeah. the standard negotiating skills that we have in BDSM that you must have. You must be able to explicitly yeah. consent. It's like, yes, I want impact. Or like I remember one time I tied ropes with someone who usually we go quite intense and he'll use pegs and he'll use the little Wartenberg wheel, the spiky wheel, and he'll do some spanking. And thank God he asked me that day because I was ready to just fall into our routine. Like in my head I was thinking I'm feeling really sensitive and sensual and I just want one of those sensual ties, but I didn't think to communicate it. So he said, do you want pegs? And I was like, oh, no, I don't. He's like, do you want the wheel? And I'm like, no. He's like, what about spanking, nipples? And I was like, actually none of that. It's like, thank God. I would have just led myself down a path that no one else is to blame, but I would have put myself in a position where something could have happened that I didn't want simply because I didn't negotiate. Yeah. 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 And I think so much, like I've, I've spoke about this recently on the podcast, there's this complete lack of communication around, around especially like casual hookups or new, new -hmm. connections. It's like, we're all afraid that if we actually say something like oh I'd really appreciate a text tomorrow or I don't fuck on the first date or you know we express our needs they're gonna think we're a loser and they're gonna fucking bail and I'm like well do you know what my answer is to that firstly fuck those guys what a dickhead filter it is it's weeding out the ones that don't deserve to fuck you and secondly like if you are not mature enough to communicate about these things before you have sex you should not be having sex simple as that yeah. yeah. And if you're looking for approval from these other people and don't have the confidence to, you know, if you feel that you need their uh, their desire, like, yeah, that's such a disempowered state to be in to put all that yeah. on the other person. Like, yeah. I want them to approve of me. I want them to want me. And, like, I don't want to jeopardize that. I don't that. want to say like, anything to mess it up or make yeah. them 
feel off put or like think I'm weird or like we're always in this yeah it's so common to be in this place of disempowerment with that sort of thing where we're worried about messing it up and that if we say something like that it's gonna it's gonna turn them off and I'm like well do you know what if someone said that to me I that would be a green flag that'd be a massive turn on if they were actually like cool let's chat about like sexual health stuff and protection and you know have you are you sleeping with other people like what are your expectations things like this like it's so beneficial to collect this information and get into a place where you're comfortable talking with this new person about it because how the fuck can you expect to trust someone um to you know let them into your body and into that intimate space with you if you don't even feel comfortable enough to have that conversation because you're worried they're gonna jump ship thinking like you're weird or you're too much you're too needy or you know exactly exactly it's such a once you start stepping into this level of maturity, even if you're the one taking the lead and those other people are not accustomed to these kind of conversations, it still can go really well. And then we can yeah. also kind of lead that revolution where that person's yeah. like, oh, that was really good. And I like that conversation. Yeah. And like, oh, next time That's I go on a date, I'm going to have that kind of conversation. The first yeah, time yeah, I had I a kind like, of yeah. STI challenge, um, I'd met this guy on a date. And this, I did sleep with him after breakfast on our first, we met for breakfast and like it just, everything was good about it. This is probably five years ago. And um, I went back to his hotel room. We had an amazing morning full of passion and I had to leave by 11 a.m. because my mum was downstairs checking out of our hotel room. (laughs) (laughs) Came down with my hair everywhere and my mascara under my eyes. Um, But everything about that experience was positive. And he and I are still Instagram friends, just a good quality dude. And short time after I was in Canada and he sent me a message and said, Erin, I'm really sorry to be the bearer of bad news, but I've tested positive for chlamydia. I feel that you're safe, but it's still, I've put my ego aside because I care more about your health and your safety. Um, Mm. and you need to get a test. And I was like, wow, I love you even more. So much respect for that conversation. And he was like, wow, Erin, the way you're receiving this, like, I feel like you're healing me. And I'm like, yeah, I feel like you are too. Mm. You're helping me navigate this first kind of tricky conversation that I've had. I'm giving you a very positive experience that really, you know, conditions you to continue. That it was a yeah. Good thing to tell me. Yeah. Yeah. So I went to the clinic. I got a test. It was a like a gay clinic, and the nurse was fucking amazing and gave me so much more education. Everything about that was positive. And she said, you don't even need to get tested. You can take the single dose antibiotic and blah. And I said, no, I'd still like to get tested because if it was me that gave it to him, if I had it before him, then I need to speak to my previous partner and blah, 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 blah. And in the end, I didn't have it. And I felt grateful that I'd gone through that entire lesson and that I'd got all the gifts out of it and I didn't actually have to put any medication in my body. It was a really big, amazing sex ed experience. (laughs) (laughs) Everything that high school lacked. (laughs) But he and I together set the stage for really empowered conversations around that. And then subsequently I met a friend who teaches about STIs. She's had herpes and uh, she's had herpes type 2 and HPV and there's something else as well. Uh, She has common outbreaks and so she does a lot of education about it. So one day she and I went for a walk and I said, how could I best receive that conversation with you? Like, as someone that's STI positive and needs to disclose all the time, what's the best way for me to handle a conversation like that mm. if I come across it? 
And it was just Mm. fucking awesome to speak to someone who's had a lot of, you know, painful experiences disclosing throughout her life and to really kind of empower myself to have these conversations in a really Mm. safe and comfortable and neutral way. There's no charge. There's Mm -hmm. no disgust. There's no shame. There's no judgment. It just is like, yeah, let's talk about so healing. Yeah. So healing for someone who's positive. Like, yeah, I've got an episode on herpes and one on HPV and one on STIs. And in all of those, I chat with these uh, guests, these amazing guests that I have about like disclosure conversations and how that's Mm. gone for them and where they're at with that. And yeah, it's such an important, valuable thing to familiarize yourself with. Even if you are not positive for any STIs, like you may be with someone who discloses to you that they are. And the way that you respond to that is so important and is like a massive, a massive thing for them. And it can go, you know, it can, it can make or break and can be really traumatizing for them and horrible and judgmental and shamey, or it can be really healing and accepting and beautiful. Hey, me again. If you'd like to support the potty and you've already given it five stars on whatever platform you're listening on, I want to mention that you can buy some really dope merch from the website and get yourself a labia lounge tote, tea, togs. Yep, you heard that right. I even have labia lounge bathers or a cute fanny pack if that'd blow your hair back. So uh, if fashion isn't your passion, though, you can donate to my Buy Me A Coffee donation page, which is actually called Buy Me A Soy Chai Latte because... I'll be the first to admit, I'm a bit of a Melbourne cafe tosser like that. And yes, that is my coffee order. (laughs) You can do a once-off donation or an ongoing membership and sponsor me for as little as three fat ones a month. And I also have a Sunroom profile over on the Sunroom app, as I've mentioned. And I also offer one-on-one coaching and online courses that'll help you level up your sex life and relationship with yourself and others in a really big way. So every bit helps because it ain't cheap to put out a sweet podcast uh, into the world every week out of my own pocket. So I will be undyingly grateful if you support me and my biz financially in any of these ways. And if you like, I'll even give you a mental BJ with my mind from the lounge itself. Saucy. Um, I'll pop the links in the show notes. Thank you. Later. Yeah, and and before I'm just looking at the time thinking oh I haven't done a TMI and most of the things you've been talking about is a bit TMI but I'm wondering but give me yes yes give yeah, me something yeah. I want to do this don't let me miss out on this experience what is it tell me what's TMI oh the TMI we love it segment is basically where I ask guests for a story that would usually oh, yes. be considered too much information and I've rebranded it too much inspiration because I think it's really inspiring (laughs) to chat about the taboo and the stigmatized and the you know the stuff that's usually not spoken about openly and that there's a lot of judgment and shame around so this Mm. you know that's kind of the thing behind the whole podcast is like Mm -hmm. let's destigmatize everything that is taboo but um yeah I mean I'm sure you've got the goods here do you have a TMI (laughs) story you feel like sharing with us well the first ones I've got two that come to mind and one's a pretty simple one that perhaps people have talked about before but it was when I was sharing butt plugs with my friend (laughs) (laughs) what do you mean like you had a collection that you shared I have a collection yes and we live in a country where sex toys are not so easy to come by and she had asked me for some advice on how to start exploring anal and I said you definitely need butt plugs to do some training. And she's like, where do mm-hmm. I get those? And I was like, well, I could send you some. 
<laughs> I have a huge <laughs> toy collection. And she's like, this is like the new age friendship bracelet. <laughs> Sisterhood like, of the yeah. traveling pants. Yeah. Traveling butt plug. <laughs> Love that. So I've actually learned my friends from butt plugs back in yeah. Melbourne. So I get it. <laughs> yeah. It just was a nice very comfortable thing between friends that love and respect each other. So I really enjoyed that. But the first thing that came to mind was actually sharing about my favorite kink, which is very rare to come across actually, but it's something called sounding and it's about using the urethra. So Mm. sound is a medical instrument that they use. So when a man has a catheter, they slide a sound down his urethra And so in the kink community, it has been discovered that this could also be very pleasurable. It can be Mm -hmm. a very scary and especially Mm. for men, any kind of penetration requires a certain level of mental preparation. So if a dude isn't ready to have a prostate massage, he is one million times not ready to be sounded. (laughs) (laughs) But if he's comfortable penetration and if he's done that work on himself, then the sensation that comes with sounding for men is like a constant orgasm. So you actually, the sound can be metal or it can be silicon, um, but essentially when the cock is flaccid, you very slowly and very gently insert this thing down the length of the urethra and they'll start ejaculating. This constant stream of ejaculate can come out. And so then you can start to stimulate the cock. You can suck it, you can ride it, but it's such a slow and intimate and trusting space to go there with someone and so Um, oh siri just told me i didn't get that could you try again (laughs) (laughs) urethral sounding siri (laughs) go away siri i don't even know how you picked up on that um so the female sound because the female urethra is smaller anatomically or shorter the female sound is quite different, but again, it's in this really slow and gentle mm. kind of sensual way. It almost, the one that I like is like a little swizzle stick. It's metal, of course, mm. <laughs> and it's grooved, but very slowly and gently, my partner kind of twists it and slowly inserts it. Mm. And it is so insanely pleasurable, which makes sense because all of our anatomy down there is made for pleasure. So it feels like getting yeah. fucked in one of your holes. It's just and a I mean, different the urethra, hole. The urethral sponge is the G exactly. spot, so it's literally surrounded by a rectum. Exactly. And mm, it's tight. It feels like it's such a small opening. But, my God, that makes me come like a wild animal nonstop. And I just love it. And I think I'm so sad for the billions of women on the planet who will never know that pleasure in their bodies. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, so I feel that. I have a friend who um, she was starting to experience some symptoms of BV and she lives in a remote part of America and she would use boric acid suppositories to kind of treat it. So she woke up at 5 o'clock in the morning, was not feeling balanced, went and found a suppository, put a little bit of um, lubricant on it and put it inside her. But then she was like, oh, it's not going in. This is really weird. And she's a nurse as well, so she knows anatomy. And she's like, what's going on? Why is it not going in? And she got out a hand. She turned on the light and got a hand mirror out and she'd put it in her urethra. So the poor thing had this boric suppository acid and she's like, 
boric acid suppository. She's like, Erin, I couldn't have done that if I was trying to do that. She's like, I legit don't know how I did it. She ran a bath. She sat in the bath. She waited for the thing to dissolve. But she left me a voice memo and was like, Erin, you're the only person in the world I can tell this story to, but I put this suppository in my urethra. And my response was like, oh, yeah, yeah, I've been fucked in that hole before. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. That is the most out there story I reckon that has been. I mean, maybe. I mean, it's it's a stiff competition on this podcast, but gee whiz, I've never heard anything like that. Holy shit. Well, that's the other thing we talked about on my podcast was like being trained to the point I can come on command. So just through my partner's Mm. voice and, you know, we did a lot of training to get there, but like just the sound of his voice with the word now and he would say it in a certain way, just like now and I'd explode an orgasm. (laughs) This is realms. This is like Olympic (laughs) training of yeah, sexuality yeah. you know That's a lot of people don't want to go to and I love it I'm like in the same way that I do with personal development I'm like is there something to experience can I learn can I grow like go and show me the potential I just want to experience the absolute height of my sexual potential <laughs> so that means getting fucked yeah, in my urethra wow. and coming on command <laughs> oh my god yeah your racial sounding is wild I hadn't heard of it until I actually had a uh, pro dom on the podcast and she mm-hmm. was saying that it's she hasn't tried it but it's one of her like biggest things that she like wants to try yeah. and work up to um on herself so yeah and that was to on, oh, i think both i think both right oh that's good um, because i think I would on say herself 99 of people that even do sounding don't do female sounding it's it's a very yeah. common male submissive act but you yeah. know my partner was dominant he was not submissive but I, there's only me and one other woman that he would allow to do that for him because of the space we could hold. You really do. Yeah. It's such a vulnerable thing. So he knew that my exactly. nurturing and my imagine. love, he would be safe enough to open to go to those places. Yeah. Wow. But I personally Holy have not met shit. another woman who's been sounded ever in my life. Wow. Well, look, I'll tee you guys up if, if she hasn't tried it yet and she wants some advice. <laughs> yeah. I imagine, like, where do you even get the instruments to do this? Oh, like, man. It, it I ordered so some uncommon. online and they got stopped mm-hmm. at customs in Indonesia because, like, they're prohibited items. But I was hoping – my problem was I ordered double-ended dildos, metal dildos, <laughs> glass dildos, a Wartenberg wheel, and the sounds. And so the package right. got stopped. Okay. So I had to go uh-huh. to customs in Denpasar and they had oh opened God. the box and photographed it all. <laughs> and oh I sat down God. with this piece of paper that's all in Indonesian, just, you know, I couldn't even say it. I was like, hello, I just need to pick up this package. And he typed it into the computer and then boom, like it's all just like the most oh, fucking bizarre looking sex toys. And he was like, couldn't even look at me. He's like, this uh, thing's not allowed or I needed a medical license to import it. And I was like, oh, my God. But, yeah, you can definitely buy them on kink and fetish websites and um, even things like Amazon. They're there. People, it'll say urethral sound, but unless you know what you're looking for, everyone just says it's pretty little swizzle sticks. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, my God. All right. Whoa. This one was (laughs) jam-packed. Thank you so much, Erin. It's such a pleasure, such a joy. Thank you so much. And where can people find you and your work? So Erin Kiner, I am the only Erin Kiner on the planet, so I'm very easy to find on Instagram and Facebook and email and website and all the usual things. 
And then I have my own podcast of which I have had the beautiful Freya guest as well. That's called Romantic Hardcore, a podcast about sex and healing. (laughs) So you can find me across all of those places. And I do online work with clients one-to-one. And I also do in-person work with one-to-ones and couples. So I teach these kind of kinky things and I teach dominance and submission. And I'm also going on an Egyptian pilgrimage at the end of the year. So if you're feeling called spiritually to come to with me to Egypt for an awakening, please reach out. I know that it's going to be insanely powerful. Um, and that might be all my wow. offerings. Oh, and shortly I'll yeah. be doing uh, Kundalini awakening sessions as well. So Kundalini is another yeah. thing that will um, start to emerge over the next month or so. Epic. All right. You're a bloody blast. We've had so many <laughs> bonus TMIs come out of you. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I can't wait till you and I are together in the flesh and doing offerings, girl. It's going to be so freaking awesome. Yeah. Bali, look out. Yeah. All right, my love. Well, let's wrap it up there. Thank you, everyone. If you've stuck it out for the full hour and a half, we were trying to keep it short, but as usual... Not a thing with my with my <laughs> podcast. Um, awesome! Thanks so much, Erin. Thanks, guys. And that's it, darling hearts. Thank you for stopping by the Labia Lounge. Your bum groove in the couch will be right where you left it, just waiting for you to sink back in for some more double L action next time. And in the meantime, if you'd be a dear and subscribe, share this episode, or leave a review on iTunes, then you can pat yourself on the snatch because that, my dear, is a downright act of sex-positive feminist activism. And you'd be supporting my vision to educate, empower, demystify, and destigmatize with this here podcast. Also, I'm always open to feedback, topic ideas that you'd love to hear covered, or guest suggestions. So feel free to get in touch via my website at freyograph.com or say hey over on Insta. My handle is Freya underscore graph underscore YMT and I seriously hope you're following me on there because damn, we have fun. We have fun. Anyway, later labial legends. I'll see you next time.